You are Locked On SEC Football, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to your Locked On SEC Football Podcast. I'm Dave Hooker. Chris Landry, a couple days off, is broadcast live from SEC Media Days. We'll have Connor O'Gara on the program. We'll also have uh, Chris Doreen, former Florida wide receiver now with the SEC Network. And we'll have Cole Kubelik, former Auburn offensive lineman now with the SEC Network as well. So I want to remind you to go to twillery.com. It's twillery.com. Use the Locked On promo code. Get $25 off. That's $25 off. So let's get it rolling with Cole Kubelik as he talks SEC Media Days. Man, I love following you on, on Twitter. And you don't get upset when uh, some goofballs will, will challenge your, your knowledge. <laughs> Which happens a lot. Yeah, it happens all the time. So, yeah, it's listen, Twitter is not a place for friendly people. So I'm, I've I'm, learned that the hard way. I'm sure that's no, there's no fandom out there that's doing that, right? It's, uh, it's just objective analysis exactly, on that part. Exactly, yes. <laughs> people who, who understand the background of football and, and all the technical and fundamental aspects of football. Those are the only people that I deal with on Twitter. That's right. Okay. Let's talk a little bit of offensive line. I think Georgia's got the best offensive line, not only in, the in college football, in, yeah, country, in say, the country. Go ahead and say that. How, you're how right. good are they? Uh, they have a chance to be elite. I mean, how many, how many, how many offensive lines around college football have two legitimate five-star guys that have played, have have legit experience, and played well when they played, that are going to lose their jobs, that aren't going to start. I mean, whether it's Cade Mays, whether it's Ben Cleveland, I mean, they've got two or three guys that aren't going to start because there's other guys in front of them that are that good. So uh, I saw Trey Hill play guard last year. He'll move down to center. I think he's going to be great. He might not be as good with some of the exterior things that Lamont Gallier was with last year, but physically he may be a step up in that department. Um, I think you got Andrew Thomas as tackle number one in the SEC at left. You've got Solomon Kinley, who I think is the best guard in the SEC right now. And then you've got Ben Cleveland and Cade Mays at right guard, who are going to have to battle that out. One of them's not going to start. And if you've seen Isaiah Wilson run around, I mean, he's just a physical freak show. Now, he's got some holes in his game, but this guy is 6'7", 340 pounds, and not fat at all. I mean, Vince McMahon will probably offer him a contract before the NFL will. They'd be smart to. Like, he's that kind of a physical freak show. So... And not to mention Sam Pittman's the best offensive line coach in America. So that group is going to be elite. That group's going to be big time. And I look at their schedule and I say, how many games could Georgia go run the football 60 times a game and still win and not throw the ball? And you'll find probably 9, 10, or 11 of those games. That group's going to be that good. And with DeAndre Swift and Cook and a couple of those guys behind them, they could be scary good. Yeah, I think they could. And I'm curious what you think about Jake Fromm, because we kind of have this debate of, you know, we talk to some people and they think he's he's hit his ceiling. Other people think that he he is an elite quarterback. Others say he's just very good. We know he's very good at least, but where where do you place him among the best in the country? Well, from the country, that's, that's, I hadn't really thought about from the country. I mean, he's still top five. I think, I think he and Tua are tier one SEC quarterbacks for me going into this season. Now, the cool part about the SEC this year is Tier 2 is pretty crowded. you got Felipe Franks, you got Kellen Mond, you got Jake Bentley, you got Joe Burrow. you got a lot of guys in Tier 2 that could maybe play their way to Tier 1 or at least have the ability to be there. They hadn't shown it just yet. Now, Jake does it in a little bit of a different way. Like, does he have the arm talent down the field that, say, a Felipe Franks does or even a Jared Garantano does? I mean, Garantano's a Tier 2 guy who I think could be there, but, you know, the, the kids just – I mean, he's holding on for dear life every time he drops back. 
So I, I think that Jake Fromm has elite accuracy. I mean, go look at some of those throws he made in the SEC championship game, Mike. Those are throws that most guys won't even attempt, and he's completing those passes. He's not as good down the field. He's a better runner than people give him credit for, and he understands the offense and manages that offense as well as anybody in the country. So he's probably a top-five quarterback in college football for me. I mean, I think his comp is Drew Brees with maybe not as strong of an arm, but the cool part about Jake is I've had a chance to watch him practice a few times, and when you're at practice and you see the way he manages things, he looks like a point guard on the basketball court. He, you know, he's going to guards. He's going to tight ends. He's turning to his backs. He's changing protections. He's barking out orders. Like he, he runs that offense, and you can see it. And there's not always a guy who just takes, it, takes command the way that he does, and that's the guy that Jake is. So I think that part of his game makes him that much better. Does it, does it hurt Jake that he doesn't put up some of these monster, like, comic book goofy numbers that you see out of a place like Oklahoma? Like, he's a really good quarterback, but he just doesn't, yeah. he's just not a big numbers guy. I don't think it hurts him, but... Or at least the perception no, of him. You're right, and it's an interesting point that you bring up because that perception may hit him more this year than it has in the past. Because that O-line is going to be that good, because their running backs are that good, and because they have questions at receiver. I mean, I have two questions about Georgia going into this year. Depth and experience at wide receiver, and then who on your front is going to be able to generate a pass rush in one-on-one situations? Maybe Nolan Smith comes in and does that. Maybe Tyler Clark has a bounce back year. But last year, they couldn't get pressure in one-on-one situations. So that's going to be a problem if they can't do it again this year. So I don't think Jake even surpasses the numbers he had a year ago but he may have a better season as a college quarterback than he did last year. Colt Kubelik joining us now, SEC Network, also at WJOX in Birmingham. You can hear him all over the place. And Okay, let's talk about, let's go back to the offensive line for a second. That's the second-best offensive line. Is Alabama the easy selection? I think so, just because the tackles really – and then when they get Deontay Brown back, I mean, he's an NFL guard. He's suspended the first four games. But I think Jedrick Wills is the best right tackle in the SEC, and Alex Leatherwood's just made to play tackle. He was at guard last year, but he will be a better tackle than he was at guard. His, physically, he's built to play tackle. I've seen him. I've seen more reps than a lot of people have of him playing tackle. He's going to be fine out there at left. And go back to the national championship game two years ago against Georgia. Jonah Williams goes down. Leatherwood comes in, and he was as good or better than, than a first-round draft pick was in that game. So there are some questions inside – but the bottom line is Alabama has numbers. And they got guys that if the guys that they try out early don't work, five-star after five-star after five-star are going to get a chance to be the next guy in line. So I think for me it's Alabama. Uh, I think Mississippi State's got a chance to be in that mix. Auburn has a chance to be in that mix. It's, there's a pretty big drop-off after Georgia and Alabama, honestly. I like State's offensive line. I think they have a chance to be pretty good this year. Florida has huge question marks. LSU's got a couple big question marks, especially at right tackle. So there's, I mean, Ole Miss lost a lot of dudes. They're not, they weren't great last year. So you're kind of searching around and you're thinking, all right, who are some of the other good offensive lines? And the team that most people should be talking about that they're not is Missouri. I mean, Missouri has three. I did my top five at every position group, and they have three guys that are on those top fives. I think their center's a top five center. Tristan Colon Castillo. I think Trevor Wallace Sims is a top five guard. And I think they have a top five tackle. So I think Missouri will end up being maybe the second or third best offensive line in the league by the end of the year. I'm curious what you think about the concept of players being able to profit on their own likeness. And the reason I ask is because some players could do that. You're an offensive lineman. You're not going to be out there as much as the quarterback. So how does that go over in a locker room if that happens where maybe the quarterback and running back are making some extra cash and the offensive lineman guys in the trenches aren't? 
that's life, right? I mean, I so, life ain't fair. I kind of live by that, and I try to teach my kids to live by that. So there are going to be people who have inherent advantages in life that don't. I'm not sitting here doing radio with you guys today if I didn't play football in the SEC. I've had a much easier time getting into this business than someone who just was a math major at Mississippi State and said, hey, I want to go do sports talk radio. Like They're not going to have the inherent advantages that I did. I believe in the power of the platform that you're provided when you're a college athlete, what that's going to give you later in life, what that means later in life, the earning potential that it gives you an advantage to have later in life. And I think it opens up the door to make the underbelly of college football recruiting 10 times worse, 100 times worse than it is now. Because you're going to have so many side deals for high school kids who are considering going somewhere. Hey, we got a car deal figured out for you. we got a barbecue restaurant deal figured out. What happens when that kid transfers? And they had this handshake agreement. And are we really going to rely on 17, 18-year-old kids to go out and live through these Instagram deals that they come up with on their own or these Twitter deals that they come up with on their own? Because that's a real part of marketing these days. The social media aspect can become very cloudy. So I just I think it, it muddies the water too much more. I do believe that it's a, it's a good thought, but the people who want it, they're not going to want to cap it, and I think you have to cap it. So yeah. are, are you, are you, are you going to have Super Booster go out to – you know, quarterback out of Nashville and say, hey, man, we're going to give you a $100,000 barbecue joint deal. Like, I mean, you, at some point in time, you have to say, this, it's, it's not a realistic market. It's going to create a false market for a lot of kids. And I just think it's, it, it, would, it would create more problems than it would solve. And for me, appreciate the value of what you have. Listen, I understand the whole education thing is gone, but what a lot of kids don't understand is the power of being an SEC football player is going to carry you a long way in life, whether that's going into medical sales, pharma sales, insurance sales, or being on the SEC network. All of those things are going to propel you to be able to make more money because you had that platform and wore that uniform. Well, that was Cole Kublik, and stay tuned, because Chris Doring up next, your Locked on SEC Football podcast. Welcome back. I promised you Chris Doring. We get to him now. You're Locked on SEC Football podcast, live from SEC Media Days. What's the thing you've learned most about being in the media profession? Yeah, I think it's um, trying to have a little bit more objectivity, you know, shifting your your focus from being a, a guy that sees things through orange and blue glasses and, and having to uh, to look at it from all sides. Um, I actually relish that that position. I think it's, it's fun to get a chance to, to go to Tennessee, to go to, to Athens, to go to, um, to Tuscaloosa, and, and realize that all of these programs are very much the same. They're, they're built with tradition they're built with a passionate fan base and uh, they all have high expectations for the, their programs and so um for me it, it's it's been fun to go in there kind of as a neutral observer as opposed to a, a visitor in, in uh in the new dynamics it's funny to bring that up because it just broke today where peyton manning um reportedly didn't join the monday night football crew because he didn't want to have to say critical things about eli or his old denver broncos teammates did you ever find yourself in, in that position, or was there enough separation? No, I think it's difficult as a whole, you know, because of how gracious all the coaches and players are here, and, and how you know willing they are to, to kind of let us let us in. It's difficult, you know. You don't you don't want to offend anybody. You don't want to step on anybody's toes, but at the same time, you want to maintain credibility. And um, so you have to call it like you see it. I think as long as you don't take vindictive shots, and as long as you're not personal with things. As long as you're providing analysis and, and reasons for why you make statements, I think it's uh, I think it's okay. But it does it does get hard at times to, to have to be critical of, of the players and coaches that uh, are are in this league. Florida's off season. Glad it's over. 
Yeah, they, should they be glad it's over? You know what? I mean, there was obviously some legal issues early in the offseason, uh, people making a lot of, of uh, transfers that have departed. I, I really don't think there's a ton of, of impact players that have left, with the exception of Chris Steele. And that was a guy that, that was a West Coast guy that, that came to the Southeast and maybe didn't understand the, the, uh, the dynamics of, of life down here. Probably inevitable that he was going to leave anyway. But, you know, the, the one thing that I worry about from the departures of, of the um, people on the uh, in the transfer portal are the numbers and how that affects you know, the depth and special teams. I don't think there's any top-line guys that Florida lost, but you know, I think um, the big thing will be, hey, can you add a couple maybe um, grad transfers to help out, particularly on the offensive line? Did you ever have a point, maybe freshman year or at any time, not playing enough, any reason that maybe you would have considered transferring if it was as open as it is now? My dynamic was different. I mean, I, I grew up in Gainesville, a lifelong Gator fan, right. walked on before getting my scholarship my sophomore year. Um, back in the day, everybody got redshirted. Everybody stayed around for five years for the most part. You bided your time and put in your, your work and, and knew that that was going to get you an opportunity at some point. So, you know, I think it, this is more of a reflection of the culture these days and, and that everybody – it expects instant gratification, and um, you know part of it's the, the fans and, and the coaches' fault. The way recruiting um, you know, exposes these guys to the country at such a young age, and, and the attention that they get, it's tough to, to live up to um, you know that, that kind of excitement. I think what you're seeing in a lot of cases is guys not only wanting play time, but wanting that acclimation and the uh, wanting some some exposure during the recruiting process. So they throw their name back out into the transfer portal. Now, all of a sudden, they're being re-recruited, which is has got to be uh, a euphoric feeling. Uh, like you said, when you were playing, everybody got red-shirted. Now, you, you can come in as a true freshman and play right away. Do you think that that contributes to transferring in some kind of way, where some guys see maybe they go in with their friends and you know your buddy's starting right away, but yeah. you get red-shirted and you have to wait? Yeah, I, mean, I, th- I, think there's, I think there's some of that. You know, I also think that the fact that um, coaches are trying to get their money's worth out of these players before they move on to the next level. They're they're playing them more as true freshmen. I think it I think it hurts the game a little bit. I mean I think you're you're having guys that are physically and emotionally less mature playing at an earlier point in time that don't have that experience. So it, it is the way that the game is, but I do think at the same time a lot of it goes back to the coaches and what they're telling these guys, you're gonna come in, you're gonna play right away, you got a chance to compete. And when it doesn't go that way, you don't see guys that are quite as willing to uh, stick it out and, and, and let things play out as, as I think he once would have been. I feel certain that Dan Mullen's going to get Florida nine, ten wins or, or more a season. But with what Kirby Smart's doing in Georgia, that's going to be the ultimate hurdle. Your thoughts on what Dan Mullen uh, needs to continue to do to get to that point? Yeah, I, I think it's you can look at it a couple different ways. I mean, two years ago, Florida was four and seven, and Georgia was in the national championship game, a, a play away from winning it all. And here we are, Dick Mullen comes in, they win 10 games. Last year in that in the cocktail party, Florida was with, in a one-possession game with Georgia in the fourth quarter. So that, that gap is maybe not as wide as a, as a Florida alum was thinking it was going to get out of hand. I think Dan Mullen's done a nice job of gain, gaining some recruiting traction. They had a top-10 recruiting class. And more than anything, the mental uh, impact that he's had on that team, getting that roster that he didn't recruit to buy in and understand what he's preaching with the Gator standard, they played, I think, above their, their talent level last year and uh, won a lot of close games that I don't think they would have won under the previous staff. So I, I view it as, hey, this is a team that has a lot of confidence. 
they, I don't believe in moral victories, but they, that loss to Georgia last year was a much different uh, game than what it was in the previous two seasons against Georgia. So I, I do think that something was gained in terms of confidence, confidence for the um, for that Gator team, just uh, knowing they could go toe to toe with the Bulldogs. Well, that was Chris Doring. It's your Locked On SEC Football podcast. One quick break, and it's Connor O'Gara with Saturday Down South. You are Locked On SEC Football, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back. It is time for Connor O'Gara with Saturday Down South, your Locked On SEC Football podcast. Uh, The number of quarterbacks here basically tells you how important that position has absolutely become. Uh, is the best quarterback in the conference. I think we can agree on that. Then Jake Fromm. Who's your number three? Yeah, so Calamon is, is my number three guy. I mean, he's. I, I think the the gap between three and seven is very, very slim, and I think it's going to change a lot. And that's one of the things I do during the season. Every Monday, I have to come out with SEC quarterback rankings, and it's tough because it changes. And I think that. I bet you never catch grief over that. <laughs> no, not at all. I, everybody is yeah. usually very polite, nice comments. What's your to, Twitter <laughs> handle again? At not, CJ not O'Gara. Yeah, come uh, come get my mentions about my quarterback <laughs> rankings. Not at all controversial, no. No, not at all. Yeah, like nobody's got any opinions on Jared Garantano or Felipe Franks or anything like that. <laughs> no. Um, but like those two guys, Kellen Mond, Joe Burrow, and Kelly Bryant are all in that three to seven range. And I think it can be all over the place. And I think it says a lot about the conference that there are nine quarterbacks who are going to be here this week because teams finally feel good about their quarterback situation. That's that's a good place to be when you can look and say, yeah, that's our leader. We don't have to have some battle in the offseason. We know that is our guy. We're sticking to him. And I, I think that that's going to bode really well for a lot of teams this year, just going through and doing some of the crystal ball projections. It's like, man, this team could easily win eight games. And I think that they could finish fourth or fifth in the division. Like that's that's kind of where we're at in this conference. And the quarterback position, I think, is at a, at a much better place than it was just as recently as a couple of years ago. You know, I saw a report about Alabama, and it was Uh-oh. a prospect. Yeah, <laughs> it was hard to believe. It was, a, it was a prospect that had picked Ohio State and said the constant coaching turnover was the main reason. I have long said, if, big if, air quotes if, there is an Achilles heel, I believe that'll be it. Because when you're recruiting a kid, it's about relationships. It's also about who you know in a specific area. So if you've recruited South Florida your whole life, and then you replace a guy, let's say at Alabama, that recruited uh, Maryland and Baltimore in that area, I don't know how you can then play to your strengths and create pop line. Is that the one thing, as long as Saban stays in place? The Highland Globetrotters bring their all-new fan-powered tour to Chattanooga at UTC McKenzie. Don't get me wrong. Clemson was the better team, no question about it. But, yeah, I mean, you look at what that coaching staff that Clemson has been able to retain, keeping somebody like Brent Venables on board. Then you look at Bama, and Bama, Bama's staff had an unbelievable year, but the continuity wasn't there. And when they needed to show up on the biggest stage for that game, they didn't do it, and they didn't put it together with the right game plan. And can that be something that holds Alabama back? I think it's it's fair to at least wonder that at this point. With all of the, the turnover and the way that kids commit now, it's different. Kids aren't necessarily committing to the big in-state school or necessarily committing to you know the big-time program always. They commit to an assistant coach. And to me, I think that's foolish because assistant coaches are here today, gone tomorrow. That's just kind of the way they are. But I think that it's fair to at least ask that question at this point and wonder, What's what's Alabama's what's Alabama going to be able to do to sort of you know move past that because it's become such a stepping stone place for a lot of these guys who are going on to bigger and better jobs. So yeah, I mean I think that's a fair question to ask at this point. Now, what do you so think guess, Clemson's secret is? 
the coaching, retaining the coaching staff. It's, it's Dabo. It's keeping somebody like Brent Venables. That's the most underrated thing about that team is having Brent Venables really for this, this decade, having him in his current role. The defensive line that they returned last year, Brent Venables isn't coming back. You know, I don't know if all three of those guys are coming back to that team. And I think that you look at a situation like that where they have just year in, year out, they, they just know what they're doing. And they don't have this massive turnover. And it's, it's more the exception than the rule in today's day and age in college football. But Clemson is a juggernaut and a rare one at that. I believe firmly that football is going to cycle back to being physical. And I believe Alabama is the prime example after what happened last year. Their, their defense was gassed, and it was because their offense was scoring so fast they were out there for 80, 85, 90 plays. I think you're going to see Alabama beat teams as badly as they did last year, but I believe it's going to be a 35-13 grubbing as opposed to a 51-13 score fest. And I, I think Alabama is going to trend back towards what they used to be. I think there's something to be said for Alabama wanting to be a more physical smash mouth team. And I think we saw in the national championship, they had some issues in short yardage. And I think that that offensive line struggled really. And I think that they want to get back to that a little bit more. That's more of Nick Saban's brand of football. As much as we talk about, you know, the Lane Kiffin offense that he still has, I, I think that Bama does want to get back to that smash mouth identity. And let's not forget that secondary was super young last year. And we just kind of assume that Saban's going to be able to figure it out and he's going to be able to mentor these young guys. But at the same time, like they had issues throughout the entire season. And when you have an offense that's scoring like that, maybe you don't realize what those issues are. I think they will become a more physical team. I think they're better in the front seven this year. Obviously, you lose Quinn Williams, but I think that they, they will play a little bit of a different style. I still think they're going to beat teams 51 to nothing. Like, I don't think sure. they're just going to call off the dogs at 35 to 13 or whatever, but I, I think that they, they might have a little bit of a different identity. But with that offensive firepower, I mean, I'll be stunned if they're not putting up an average of 45 to 50 points a game. Yeah. We had Lane on last week, and I, I said that to him, Lane Kiffin. And he said, so you're telling me Nick Saban's going to turn down a two-place scoring drive? <laughs> right, yeah. And I said, well, I don't mean it like that. But if, if your defense is playing 60 plays instead of 80, that's going to make a difference at the end. I just think they'll want to control the football a little bit more. Well, are they playing 60 or 80 if, you know, the game is over in the middle of the second quarter? You know, are, are they playing as much? Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. And they're always going to have games like that. But I think when it's a like opponent, which is rare, yeah. I think they'll want to control the ball a little bit more, run a little bit of clock. I think they will, too. And I think part of that, too, is they want to take some pressure off Tua. They don't want to expose Tua as much. They want him healthy at the end of the season. They saw the way that that played out last year. And if you're dealing with a quarterback who's banged up, as we've seen, that's that's an awfully tough thing to overcome at the end of the season. I, I think Najee Harris is in for a really big year. I'm excited to see what Trey Sanders can do with the five-star recruit in that running game. And getting back to a little bit of this identity that we've come to know Alabama for, I think that they might not necessarily put up the passing numbers that we think that they will, but I still think that they're going to score points in bunches. And it's going to be one of those don't you know don't show up late to your seat type offenses where you look up and it's 7 to nothing 10 seconds in the game. Uh, by the way, you did your top 25 games oh boy. for the SEC. I didn't see a Tennessee-BYU in there. You know, it, it was on my honorable mention. I almost had it in there. It was so close. But, you know, you can only pick so many games. It's only 25. Right. I mean, nothing you know brings the country together <laughs> like Tennessee-BYU. That's what I always say. There you go. That's Connor O'Gara, your Locked on SEC Football podcast. I'm Dave Hooker. Have a fantastic day, everyone. We'll talk to you from Birmingham, Alabama tomorrow. Don't forget to give us a review. We'd certainly appreciate it.